Well, please turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. And we'll be reading verses 1-5 through 2-2 this morning. And to rightly understand our passage today, we must first understand a little bit of the context in which John is writing this letter. This is a letter with a purpose. And that purpose is to warn and expose false teachers that have found their way into the church and also to encourage believers to stay faithful to the Christian faith. At this time, there were already perversions of the Gospel making their way into various Christian communities. And from what John addresses here in this letter, it appears as though this community had been influenced by a Greek philosophy known as dualism. And then also an early form of Gnosticism that would come more fully to light in the century to follow. With this in mind, John begins his letter with a strong correction of the false teachings and an appeal to hold fast to the faith once delivered to the saints. This understanding of the context will help us as we approach our text this morning. So hear now the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of the Lord from 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Thus far, the reading of God's word, let us ask his blessing upon it. Holy Father God, we do thank you that you have given us this word to instruct us, to guide us, to direct us in the ways that we should go, to show us what is expected of us. So Lord, we thank You that You have given us this Word. And Lord, we 
ask that you would add a blessing to the reading of it. And Lord, as we have just heard this word read to us, Lord, add a blessing to that hearing. May it, may it be effectual in our lives. Let it be received with ears that can hear and with understanding. And Lord, now as we approach the proclamation of this word, we ask that you would add a blessing to the preaching. That the exposition of this text would be applicable to us. That it would be something that we as believers need to hear and understand and implement in our lives. That it would be an encouragement for those of us who are in Christ and that it would be a call to repentance for those who are not. Lord, we ask that Your Spirit would work through the proclamation of this Word. And where I may fail, I ask that the Lord would cover my shortcomings. So Lord, as we approach this text, we ask that Your presence would be felt among us. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. What is fellowship? The dictionary definition of fellowship is a friendly association, especially with people who share one's interests. We've all experienced fellowship in one way or another. There's a fellowship that can be found in sporting events. Back in 2016, I went to a Boston Red Sox game at Fenway Park. I was just a young Southern guy with very little in common with the Bostonians that surrounded me. But from my very first interaction with someone in that city, I felt a connection. I, kept, I felt a kindred bond. I was no longer just an Alabama boy who had made his way too far north. When I donned my David Ortiz jersey, I was welcomed into the fellowship of the Red Sox nation. But is this the fellowship that we're talking about when we refer to Christian fellowship? Is this the type of fellowship that we see John talking about here in this letter? Well, of course not. The fellowship that I experienced at Fenway was a fleeting fellowship. It had no real substance. But the same is not true for the fellowship that we experience as believers. There's something quite unique about Christian fellowship. The fellowship that believers have with God and with one another. It's not a fleeting fellowship. It has real substance. Most of you are probably familiar with the Greek word koinonia, which is translated as fellowship. Koinonia is an intimacy. 
It's a uniting together with one another because of who you are. In Galatians 3, Paul tells us that believers are one in Christ Jesus. We are united with God in Christ Jesus, and we are united with one another in Christ Jesus. And this is Christian fellowship. That we are one with God and with our brothers and sisters in the faith. And so hear this exhortation to you today. Brothers and sisters, pursue Christian fellowship. And John gives us three ways in which you can be sure to have Christian fellowship. First, walk in the light. Next, confess your sins. And lastly, trust in Christ. Walk in the light. Confess your sins and trust in Christ. So the first way you can have Christian fellowship is to walk in the light. And we see this in verses 5 through 7. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what is meant by walking in the light? Well, to understand this, you must first understand what light is. John tells us very plainly that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, this would not be a foreign concept to the hearers at this time because light was often associated with excellence, with purity, integrity, wisdom, and so forth. And because of that, it was an appropriate and commonly used Symbol for the divine. The statement that God is light depicts the Father as absolute, infinite, transcendent, and holy other. It suggests ubiquity, brightness, happiness, intelligence, truth, purity, and holiness. It suggests excellence without limit and without taint. Light is the condition of beauty. It's called sweet in Ecclesiastes 11.7. It is infinite, omnipresent, and unchangeable. Light symbolizes God's flawless perfection. That God is light means that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the world's only authentic and reliable source of life, hope, and abundant blessing. And it is in this light, in the glory of who God is, that you are to walk. Fellowship with the God of light is evidence of the power of the gospel in your lives. To walk in the light is, first of all, 
to receive and embrace that light by faith. That means to believe on the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and then to act on that faith, living in obedience to God's commands, doing the things that please Him. And this walking in the light is then contrasted with walking in the darkness. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. To walk in darkness is to reject the light and to go on in the way of sin, in the way of the world, in the way of the wicked one, in the way of Satan. To do so is to love darkness and to hate light. Congregation, examine yourselves. Are you walking in the light or are you walking in darkness? Are you pursuing the holiness without which no man will see the Lord? Or are you continuing in sin in hopes that grace may abound. Paul says in Galatians in Galatians 5, now the works of the flesh are evident: sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul lays out two lists of characteristics. The works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Which of these two lists characterizes your life? If you are to pursue Christian fellowship, you must walk in the light. And as you walk in the light, you must also confess your sins. Look back with me at the text. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Most of us here have never made the claim that we have no sin. We don't believe in sinless perfectionism that you will attain a point in your life where you no longer have any sin. But that's not what John is speaking of here. Sinless perfectionism is not what's being combated. There's no evidence that there was a teaching of sinless perfectionism going around in the first century Near East. But what there is evidence of are those false teachings that had begun to influence the church. 
There's evidence of dualism creeping into the church. There's evidence of that early form of Gnosticism that had begun to make its way into the body of believers. And this is what John is arguing against. It's not sinless perfectionism in view, but instead the idea that the spiritual is good and the physical is bad. And so then the things done in the physical realm have no bearing upon the spirit. It's a separation of the two. And so this thought led people to believe that if the flesh does wrong, then the spirit cannot be held accountable for it. And so you're free from the guilt of physical sin. Now, if this sounds absolutely insane to you, good, because it is. In fact, it's heresy and it ought to be outright condemned. But the concern for you today ought to be whether or not you are falling for a softened form of this ancient heresy. Do you excuse your sinful actions by simply blaming it on the flesh? Do you justify your sinful actions by appealing to your justification and saying that Because you're saved, you're good. Brothers and sisters, this is the error of the antinomians. Those who deny the law of God and its role in the lives of believers. And if this is your disposition towards sin, it ought to cause you great concern. For it may be evidence that the truth is not in you. By saying that you have no sin, even in the more subtle ways in which we are prone to do, we make God a liar and the Word is not in us. Don't prove yourselves to be a hypocrite professing Christ but not being His. Do not be deceived by this ancient heresy. People who say they are Christians but are not drift through life with this haze of deception before their eyes. They don't question or examine themselves. They go on being deceived until they come to that last day. And then as they're standing before the judgment seat of God, they will suddenly realize that they have been living in darkness all along. Because they hate the light. But this doesn't have to be you. If you feel alienated from God, run to Christ. Ask Him to persuade you that there is no other way to live and meet God in the light. Ask Him to convict you of how dreadful and dangerous it is to live and die in darkness. There is hope. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here, John offers real hope to Christians. 
He offers real hope to anyone who is burdened by their guilt of particular sins. Guilt and grief need not oppress you. A just and faithful God has appointed a way to obtain forgiveness and be cleansed afresh by the blood of His Son. If you are a believer, your comfort is that Jesus stood in your guilty place, bearing your load, removing your guilt, canceling your debt, and nailing your curse to His cross. He took your punishment to the grave and He buried it there forever. This is what the sacrament of communion symbolizes and signifies. As you partake of the bread and the wine in communion, you are partaking in the broken body and the spilt blood on display for you. So next week, as you come to the Lord's table, meditate upon the work that He has done for you and see the work of Christ Jesus on behalf of His people. Brothers and sisters, if you are to pursue Christian fellowship, you must confess your sins. If you're walking in the light, you will see the need to confess your sins. It will become painfully obvious where you are falling short. I want you to think back to your childhood for a moment. When you were a child, did you ever look up at the sun? No, I'm not. Please, don't hear me advocating for looking at the sun. Children, do not do it. But those of us who were not quite as smart as you all did. And did you ever do it? Did you ever look up at the sun against your parents' pleas and against everything that you knew was right? You look at the sun and your eyes begin to burn and water. And eventually you have to look away because the brightness of the light is too much for you to bear. But eventually you open your eyes again and you look around. And as the world slowly comes back into focus, you can't help but notice that compared to the brightness of the sun, everything else seems to be cloaked in darkness. That's the image that we're given here in this text. John sets before us the vision of God in absolute light. A light far greater and purer than that sun above. And he wants us to experience and recognize that compared to the sun, how black our sin is. The great darkness that is exposed only when we gaze intently on the perfect light of God. God's holiness, His light, shows our unholiness. The fact that we are stained black with sin. 
And so it shows us the need for an incarnate and crucified Christ to wash us in His holy blood and to forgive us of our sins. If you are to pursue Christian fellowship, you must confess your sins knowing that He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And this walking in the light, this confessing your sins culminates into this third way in which you can be sure to have Christian fellowship. If you are to pursue Christian fellowship, you must trust in Christ. Let's look at the final two verses of our passage. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John's purpose in writing these things is not so that you would be perfect because that's an impossibility this side of glory. The purpose of him writing these things is to encourage you to strive after perfection which is only found in Christ. There's a standard and you ought to be aiming at that standard in everything that you do. Even knowing that you will fail to meet it. And when you do fail, because you will, hear the comforting words of our Lord. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. This ought to bring you peace when your heart is troubled by your sins and you feel too ashamed to even enter into the presence of the Lord and plead for forgiveness. Christ Jesus is your advocate. And this term advocate may not be a familiar one for you. It's a legal term that was used in the ancient courts. And it's similar to an attorney who pleads your case on your behalf, who, who makes your defense for you. But an attorney in our modern context today is usually a professional. But in the New Testament times, you would have asked your best friend to be your advocate because he is the one who knew you best. And that friend's appearing with you and speaking for you was proof of the friendship that you had. If you're a believer, you have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, is your best friend who you call on to come alongside you and to help you Plead your case before the Father. Does that make it clear how comforting this fact is? Christ is not just an attorney looking for a paycheck. He is your best friend pleading on your behalf. 
When our hearts condemn us, we lay our hearts before Christ and we confess with Charles Spurgeon, Sinner as I am, and never more consciously so than I am now, that God's Spirit has enlightened me. I yet know that if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, and I, black, foul, and filthy, more foul and filthy than I ever thought myself to be, put my case into the hand of my advocate and leave it there forever. That's what we do. We do not have to continually approach the Lord and plead our case before Him. No, we have an advocate and we, live, we give our case over to our advocate and we hide it in Him forever. Examine yourselves. Do you have an advocate with the Father? Does Christ Jesus plead your case before the judgment seat of God in heaven? Or do you think that you can go and argue your own defense? If you can't say that He is your advocate, cry out to Him. Repent and put your trust in Him. Christ Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. If you will turn from your sin today and trust in Christ, this will be true of you as well. Hear the call of the Gospel. Christ Jesus, the second person of the triune God, took on human flesh, lived a perfect, sinless life, and offered His life as a sacrifice on behalf of His people. He was crucified, died, and was buried, and on the third day, He rose again from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And if you cry out to the Lord, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, He will forgive you and cleanse you from your unrighteousness, sealing you with the Holy Spirit, the guarantor of the promise. And you too will be able to say that you have an advocate before the Father. And it is in Him that you will find true fellowship with God and with fellow believers. If you are to pursue Christian fellowship, you must first trust in Christ. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is the one who works within you to bring you in union with Himself and with fellow believers. He didn't just bring you to faith to then leave you on your own. No, He cares for you. He works in you. When a farmer sows his seed, he doesn't just look at it and say, my work is over. No, his work has only just begun. He's sown the seed, but what he has in mind is the harvest that that seed will produce. And so the farmer watches over that seed. He fertilizes the ground. He waters it. He tends it. 
cares for it. And so it is with the Lord. When God plants the seed of new, of new life into our hearts, He lovingly tends it so that we might ultimately be transformed in heart and in mind and in life and be conformed to the God of light. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Part of completing the good work is bringing you into fellowship with Himself and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do not neglect this great gift that has been given to you. Love one another. Bear one another's burdens. Live lives with one another. Pursue Christian fellowship. So how how can you have this Christian fellowship? Walk in the light. Confess your sins. And trust in Christ. All the while knowing that He is working all things in you to bring you unto perfection. Trust in the Spirit to bring you closer to the Lord and to one another. Brothers and sisters, let us pursue Christian fellowship. Let us pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank You that You have cleansed us from all iniquity, from all transgression, from all unrighteousness. That You have united us in Your Son. That we are united to Christ and we are united to one another as the Bride. That You are continually working within us to will and to do Your good pleasure. So Father, let this be a reminder that these acts of walking in the light, of confessing our sins and trusting in Christ are not just a one-time thing that we do to come into fellowship, but that they are something that we must continually do that every day we must strive to walk in the light and to shun the darkness. That every day we must come before You confessing our sins and pleading the blood of Christ for our forgiveness. And that every day we must trust not in princes, not in ourselves, not in this world, but in Christ alone. And that in doing this, not only are we brought into that Christian fellowship, but that Christian fellowship is heightened. It's strengthened. It's secured. So we thank You for this Word that You have given us and this encouragement to pursue Christian fellowship. We ask that You would implant these truths in our heart so that we may then go and live in light of them. We ask this in Christ Jesus' name.
Amen.